Well, it's a pleasure to be with you and um, always enjoy coming back home, so to speak, to see you. And I am fresh off the boat. Um, I was over in India and Nepal uh, this time last week, uh, arriving on Monday. And um, so I wanted to share a little bit um, briefly of, of what, um, what all took place over there. First of all, uh, things that I did not do when I was in India. Um, and I, I did not qualify for the wheelchair races in the airport. Um, I didn't talk to any water buffalo. I thought about it, but I did not. Um, Ganesh God, they're celebrating that right now. I did not buy one. I ate no peppers uh, when I was there. Their food is way too hot. I didn't lay down with any cows. Um, I did not pet a monkey. I wanted to, but I did not. I did not eat any kids. Uh, I did have some sheep. And I didn't purchase any toe rings. And if I had, uh, I, was, I would not show you. All right, I'm just saying. I would. This is one of the, the domestic helps of a uh, place where I was staying. And all of her toes, you know, ex except for the pinky and the big toe, uh, had rings. Okay, so here's what I did do uh, during 21 days of uh, ministry over there. We had the opportunity, of course, of uh, preaching, and which we always do. Uh, did so in five different churches. Uh, this church is in Nepal called the Philadelphia Church. About 150 people attended. And um, they meet on Saturdays because Sunday is a work day um, within, the, um, within the country. So they don't have church on Sunday. Church is on Saturday. Uh, that's a little hard to get used to, but that's the way they do it. So no problem there. You can really worship whatever day you want, I suppose. Uh, this was a nighttime village church where I had the privilege of meeting with them. And then in New Delhi, a house church, and, and then a church in uh, Hyderabad. This was their worship team, and that guy on the drums was really, really good. I mean, he knew what he was doing. So, um, And then I spoke to the kids at the orphanage. I always enjoyed doing that. We had some gifts for them and uh, a lot of shirts we gave to them. So that was what we did this time. And then I did um, three conferences, two of which were related to the Nathaniel Project, which is an evangelism program. And uh, it's a two-week or rather two-month evangelism program for the entire church. And they are doing this in India. Um, in fact, after I left just this week, they held a, another conference from the, one of the guys that I trained, one of the leaders, and uh, he was able to, uh, to teach 30 men how to do the Nathaniel Project. And so we're pretty excited that it's going to continue on um, while I'm gone. And then the last group of guys, uh, we, we did what was called Bible telling with them, uh, how to be able to start from Genesis and work your way through to the crucifixion. From creation to the cross is what we called it, the, uh, the book that we put together for them, telling stories. Um, and what a great way to be able to witness the people by telling stories. But the highlight of the trip, as it always is, is the opportunity to dedicate a brand new church building. And it is so exciting, uh, exciting to be there. The, the people they, they, in the village, they have such, uh, so little stuff. And they're meeting in house churches, and now all of a sudden they have their own church building and a place where they can come and worship God. And the place was packed. Uh, and I thought, oh, no, we, we built it too small. Um, and then I was told that there were two other villages that they brought their people to the church uh, to be able to, uh, to see it as well. So um, we definitely want to thank you for your prayers and for your support. And uh, Lord willing, January 2020, I'll be going back, probably spending about a month. Uh, I've got five conferences to do, a couple one-day conferences. They're short. 
be speaking at a, a Bible college and uh, dedicating another church building that they just broke ground on. They should have it done by January when I get there, and then I'll be preaching uh, in various churches again. So uh, we, we do thank you uh, tremendously for your, for your support and really appreciate it. And um, in, the, in your bulletins, I have sermon notes. On the, on the back, I share a little bit about our ministry, and I won't talk about that at all today. On the inside is, uh, is an article and a little bit of information about building churches. And uh, also, if you fill out this uh, sermon outline completely um, and give it to Noel Davis, he'll give you a brand-new car. So uh, they're parked right out here, I believe. Noel's ready to go with that, right? you got the keys and... So, yeah, if you want to do that, you can. But Well, commercials on, uh, on television um, obviously have an effect in our life. Um, that's why they do it. That's why they spend uh, millions and, and, should I say, billions of dollars doing it. Some of you will remember back when I was here at this church, my dad was a pastor back in 72, there was a commercial that came on and it stayed on for 12 years. They, they kept replaying it. And it was for a particular type of cereal. It uh, featured two young boys and a three-and-a-half-year-old who went by the name Mikey. And uh, the two boys, two young boys, um, pushed a cereal bowl in front of Mikey and, and said, Give it to Mikey. He eats everything. And Mikey takes a, a bite, and, and they look, and they said, He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Uh, can anybody remember what kind of cereal it is? Well, I guess you can. You can see it. Yeah, life, it's life cereal, indeed. Uh, by Quaker Oats. Well, there was another popular TV commercial which used Mike as well. Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player of all time, signed a huge multi-million dollar contract to advertise for Gatorade. Naturally, they showed Jordan doing some dunks and tricks and being the best he could be, and then he drinks from the bottle of Gatorade, and, and the commercial says, be like Mike, be like Mike. Uh, of course, other than LeBron James, not many people can be like Mike, but everybody can drink Gatorade. And um, so be like Mike. And, and now, they, uh, a couple years ago, they went back to this concept, only it's not with Gatorade, it's with a, uh, a basketball shoe that was the color of Gatorade. So I don't know. Well, the person about whom I wish to speak to you is named Caleb. And uh, the title of my sermon is Be Like Caleb. Um, there's not a lot of people who stand out historically by the name of Caleb. Uh, you've got Caleb Bloodsmith, who served in Abe Lincoln's cabinet, and then Caleb Bradham was a pharmacist, inventor of Pepsi, and then there's Caleb Johnson, who won the 13th season of American Idol. Uh, the name was very popular in the 1880s, kind of dropped off the map, came back in this century. In 2017, it was the 26th most popular boy's name, it's dropped now to 49, so if you're thinking of having a kid, this would be the name to bring it back up there, I guess. I don't know. But the Caleb about which I, I wish to speak today comes from the Old Testament, and his life is, is wrapped around the life of Joshua. Uh, I have a series entitled Joshua, the Man, the Book, His God, and one of the characters that sticks out in the book of Joshua is this guy by the name of Caleb. And I believe that every one of us, those who are followers of Jesus, can be like Caleb and see the blessings of God upon our life. So uh, let's talk about what made him special. But, but first we need to find out who this guy is. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, where Caleb is first introduced to us. Numbers chapter 13. 
And um, this is the first mention of, of Caleb by, by name. And um, after traveling across the Sinai Desert, getting ready to enter the Promised Land, God speaks to Moses. And, um, and here's what he says. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send, verse 1 and 2, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one of a chief among them. And then if, um, verse 3, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the people of Israel, down to verse 6, tells us about Caleb. And there's two things that we notice about this. First of all, he was uh, the representative from the tribe of Judah. And secondly, his father's name was Jephunneh. Now, I, I would ask you to turn to Numbers 32. You don't, you don't need to do that, but... Um, we, we learned something else about his father, which, which might shed some light on our guy Caleb. Thirty-eight years later, uh, Moses is still alive. He's still leading the people when we get to that chapter. And, and they had won every battle on the east of Jordan. And, uh, but two and a half tribes decided to stay on the other side of the Jordan River. So Moses is kind of concerned about this. He's upset a little bit and um, that they were going to abandon the nine and a half tribes who were going to take over the land. But the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half a tribe of Manasseh assured him that they were committed to fighting for Israel and for the land. In the process now, Moses' Moses's discourse, he mentions that none of the um, Israelites, 20 years or older, made it to the promised land because of their disobedience except for two guys. And, uh, and here's the verse. None except... Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Interesting that Joshua had no father, the son of Nun. Uh, no, that's not true. But we do learn that Caleb's father, Jephunneh, is a Canaanite, and this creates a little bit of a, a challenge for us. What does it mean to be a Canaanite? Canaanites, uh, at least one answer to this, um, were Edomites, not, not Jews. Uh, they were sons of Esau. These were long-standing enemies of Israel. Throughout most of the history of their relationship, the Edomites carried out border wars and skirmishes against the Israelites. Why would an Edomite uh, be a leader of the tribe of Judah first, and second, how could this happen? Well, according to some, at some point in the history of this family, uh, they must have been adopted into the tribe of Judah. Since there's no special category for Gentiles who come into the, um, into the tribes of, of, of Israel, there's no 13th tribe, uh, they're just assumed into other tribes. If this is the case, then he would join uh, the two others, Rahab, the Amorite, and Ruth, the Moabitess, both who were Gentiles, and, and he, would, he would be the third Gentile who would be in the line of Christ. But since this is the first time Canaanite is used in scripture over the span of 400 years, going back at least to Genesis chapter 15, and since it's hard to believe that Caleb's ancestors moved down to Egypt on their own, you don't generally move to a country to become a slave, okay? That's just not what you do. Maybe the Egyptians carried them in there, I don't know that, but so that may not be the reason um, why. Um, so what, what could be? It, it could be that Caleb's grandfather or great-grandfather had this as a name, that this was just his name. And, and it's not associated with a group of people, it's, it's just his name. The Apache Indians roamed the Southwest in the wild, wild west days, and perhaps a parent who likes history, especially 
These Native Americans decided to name their child Apache. I've heard of it. Uh, celebrities are known for naming their children rather odd names. Apple, Audio, Bronx, Demian, just to name a few. Uh, so just because a kid's name is Apache does not mean that he or she is a part of the Apache Indian tribe. It's just a name. And Caleb's grandfather or great-grandfather could have been had the name Canaanite, therefore he would be called a Canaanite. That's another possibility. Give you one more. And uh, more probable is what the term means. Canaanite uh, comes from the term which means hunter. Uh, you have a hunter here. Um, and so Caleb's father might just have been known as a hunter or from a line of hunters. This doesn't mean that he was a part of the Edomites uh, Canaan, uh, any more than then President Bush and, and President Obama are related because they were both presidents. Um, we have no idea, actually, what, what is the reason why he was a Kennanite or who a Kennanite was necessarily. Uh, so you get to choose. Very seldom do you do this. You get to choose whichever one of those you like because it doesn't matter at all. All right, It's not really germane to what we're talking about. But there are some traits of Caleb that we've got to see. And the first one is that Caleb was positive. He was a positive person. As already noted, we first run into Caleb when he's being sent as one of the 12 spies to go into the promised land. They found the land to be just as advertised. It was splendid. It was fantastic. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, but there were some challenges. And these were noted by the 10 spies. The people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified. They have great walls. There are giants in the land. They were like grasshoppers compared to them, and the land will devour us. Ten of the spies came back with a negative report. We can't do it. We are doomed. The people cried. We'd be better off if we went back to Egypt. So back in Numbers 13, where Caleb um, enters the fray, verse 30, but Caleb, but Caleb, here he is, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then in chapter 14, down to verse 6, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and, and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You know the rest of the story. God punishes the people because of the ten spies who turned the hearts of the people against Moses and the leadership and wanted to go back to Egypt because they did not have the faith in him. But Caleb was, gave a positive report, a positive report. Why was he so positive? He saw the fortified cities. He saw the giants in the land. But he believed God's promises. He believed God's promise to give to them the land. This promise was first made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, confirmed to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, reconfirmed to Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28. Moses informed God's people while they were in Egypt of this promise before the plagues in Numbers chapter 6. My guess is that while they were traveling different times, Moses would speak to them, and he would again confirm to them uh, that, that this was the promise that God had given them. 
Leviticus 20, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. So they knew the promise. And they had witnessed the miraculous way that God had worked out, not only bringing them out of Egypt with all the plagues and stuff and causing the water to open up and walls and they're walking on dry ground and and all the Egyptians drowned and then providing water for them and food for them while they're in the wilderness, while they were headed over to the promised land. Not only had they seen all of that, despite that, they didn't think they could do it. You know, that that was that negative spirit. are you ever negative? Uh, is that part of your existence? I, you know, I hate to confess this, but even though I went to high school uh, here in Phillipsburg, I could sing the alma mater if you had ever want me to, at least the first part of it. Uh, and we won the football game this week. We killed the other team. That was wonderful. So, um, but basically, I'm from the Philadelphia area. All right, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and and we call it Negadelphia. All right, Negadelphia. Uh, we're very negative people. And you say, now, why are you negative, Dan? Well, our sports teams. Look at our sports teams. I, I know that uh, baseball, we won a couple world championships. But listen, out of 136 years of Major League Baseball, we have lost well over 10,500 games, the most losses of any team in the history of the universe. I don't know if they hold other games on other planets. I don't know. But it's the history of the universe. We are the worst, all right, when it comes to this. So, so the Eagles, who I'm real excited about uh, today, you know, starting up again, um, they're playing in the Super Bowl. And you would think, well, you're excited, aren't you? No, no. I knew we were going to lose. You know, I, I sat there like this. I couldn't look. The whole game, I'm like, Bonnie, it was, it, and even at the end of the game, I, I, thought, I still thought we lost. Now, we did not. We actually won, uh, but that's very rare. I'm, I'm very negative. I, I tend to be negative. Maybe, maybe you're like that. I don't know. But here's a thought that's quite sobering. A negative spirit is always a mark of the flesh. Now, this now we're turning into more of a spiritual thing. I'm just having fun with the other thing, but more of a spiritual thing. One minister wrote, the times when we get negative and critical and are unwilling to act grow out of a spirit of distrust. Either we do not trust God, or we do not trust God's ability to work in others. Joshua, Caleb, Moses, positive people, because they knew the promise given by God was going to be kept by God, despite the odds against them. God is not a promise breaker. He has never broken a promise in the history of God. A couple verses. One from an unlikely source, a guy by the name of Balaam, who was not a Jew, um, religious-type person, and was ordered to curse the Israelites by, by somebody else, by Balak, but, but he blesses them instead. Here's what he said in Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Indeed he will. A second verse would come from Joshua. This would be at the end of uh, the book of, of Joshua, named after him, and his farewell to the people. He said this, And now I'm about to go the way of the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not, listen to this, listen, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, 
all have come to pass, not one have of them have failed. Joshua 23:14. And then a third verse from 2 Corinthians 1:20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God keeps his promise 100% of the time. Not 99, not 99.9. It is 100% of the time. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And Caleb was a positive person because he believed in the promise of God. God said he was going to give him the land. So Caleb, along with Joshua and Moses, said in, in verse 8 of chapter 14, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. It took faith, but it wasn't blind faith because they had already seen what God had done. God has given us, as well, many promises, the greatest of which is our eternal destiny. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to be the most positive, constructive, excited people in the world. We ought to be hopeful and positive people, not negative, uh, not even neutral, but optimistic Caleb was a positive person. Why? Because he believed in God's promises. Secondly, oh, I forgot that. What a negative spirit. There it is. Secondly is Caleb was patient, a patient person. Being patient is not one of my characteristics either. Um, I struggle with this. Uh, Caleb demonstrated his patience as he had to wait 38 long years before he was going to see the promise that God had given to him. God made the promise to Joshua and Caleb because of their faithfulness. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is writing down the law and history as a reminder to the Israelites. He mentions Caleb, Deuteronomy 134. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give you, your fathers, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholeheartedly followed the Lord. But for this promise to be fulfilled, the entire generation of people 20 and older had to die. Uh, Joshua and Caleb had to watch as they fell like flies in the desert. Somebody calculated that 73 people had to die per day in order for this to happen. I don't know where they got their figures, but that's amazing. How could he be so patient? Of Caleb alone... The, the Bible declares six times that he obeyed the Lord fully. Numbers 14.24, my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me fully, wholeheartedly. Adverbs such as followed, faithfully, wholly, fully, describe Caleb. And, and from a passage we'll read in a minute or two, Caleb even declared to Joshua that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Caleb's life shows full, wholehearted obedience that it's, it's the norm, or should be the norm for the Christian life, for the follower of Jesus, not some unachievable idealism. Why? What made him so patient for 38 years? He lived God's promises. He knew God's promise that he would eventually get into the land, and this gave him the reason to live. There are times that I feel indestructible saying, a super superhero? No, 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 no. Or, nor a teenager who feels they're bulletproof. No, no. I, I'm not done uh, ministering until God is done with me. Um, that's, that's the promise that he has given to us. That's, that's what he does within, within our life. Uh, he's in control of all of these things. 
Um, I don't know why my preacher father, when he was a pastor here at age 50, was killed. Um, we don't know why our preacher's son at age 30 was, was killed, but God is in control of all of that. Joshua and Caleb were invincible. God made a promise to them, and he was going to keep it. They knew that, and thus they were patient. They lived God's promises. In what areas do you need to be patient today? May I suggest that you wholeheartedly follow God, and in due time he will give you the desires of your heart. Claim Galatians 6.9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. An Indian proverb goes this way, patient can't be acquired overnight. It's just like building a muscle. Every day you need to work on it. And with followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit helps us with this. Fast forward now from the days Caleb was a spy through the wandering in the wilderness years. So now Caleb is a senior citizen. And this leads us to our third and final point. Caleb had great passion. Caleb is 85 years old. He's an old man by anybody's standards, especially at this time when the life expectancy was less than half his age. I have reached that age now where I am a documented senior citizen. That's correct. I know I don't look it. I look very young. Uh, this, is, this is coloring. Um, but, yeah, and, and I get some discounts, okay? Um, I was in one line I thought was going to expedite things when I was at an airport going through immigration. It was for senior citizens, but it was only for Indians, and I wasn't one. And the guy in front of me pointed me out, and I, that was tough. But here are some things that are true about older people, and they're true about me. Uh, in a hostage situation, I'm likely to be released first. All right, they're, They don't need me anymore. Um, no one expects me to run a marathon. I, nobody has asked, are you going to run? Uh, no, they, they don't do that. Things I, I buy now will not wear out. Um, and, and if Ani and I have a party, the, the neighbors don't even realize it. All right, it's very, it's very quiet. Finally, my secrets are safe with my friends because they can't remember them either. Uh, so maybe you heard about the two elderly women. Um, they were driving in a large car, which older people tend to drive. And, and both could barely see over the dashboard. And as they were cruising along, they came to an intersection, and, and they went through a red light. And, and the one lady sitting in the passenger seat said to herself, I, I must be losing it. I thought that was a red light. And, and so after a few minutes, they, they came to another intersection, and the light was red again. And again, she, they, they drove right through it. And, and this time, the woman in the passenger seat was almost sure that, that the light had been red, but was really concerned that she was losing it uh, she was getting nervous and decided to pay very close attention for the next intersection. And, and sure enough, at the next intersection, the, the light is definitely red, and they went right through it. And, and she turned to the other woman. She said, Mildred, did you know we just went through three red lights in a row? How, uh, you could have had us killed. And, and Mildred turned to her face and said, oh, oh dear, am I driving? Um, I, I'm, now, I'm now in that category, I think, uh, to some degree. Well, this is not the way of Caleb. Uh, Caleb was sharp. Uh, turn to Joshua 14. Joshua 14, you might be there. But uh, Joshua 14, the Israelites are in the land, and there's still pockets of the land that, that need to be conquered um, in chapter 13. But, but Joshua is uh, getting old, and he needs to divide up the land before he dies. So each tribe um, is, is brought there, and and they're going to be designated their portion of land by lot. The first tribe is Judah. So picture in your mind 
all these people sitting, especially the leaders of the tribes sitting there, and, and Joshua is now going to proportion the land, and he says, I'm going to give the land to Judah. And before he does that, um, Caleb jumps up. Wait, whoa, <laughs> and you see this old man standing up there. Wait a second, wait a second. Um, I, look, at, uh, look at verse 6 and, and following. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Canaanite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land in which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke, his word to Moses, while Israel was walking in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was on that day. I have the strength of ten men. Uh, I've added that. Uh, and Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for, do, for coming and going. Now give me the hill country uh, of which the Lord. I can see him there with a cane in his hand. No, no, not to Judah. You give me the land that God said he was going to give to me. And, and, of course, it was in, in Hebron uh, that, that the land was that he wanted to have. Hebron, or Hebron, held great significance to the Jews. It was a burial place for the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. David ruled Israel from this city for seven years before going to Jerusalem. In present day, despite being only 19 miles south of Jerusalem, it's under Palestinian control with approximately 120,000 Sumi Muslim Arab residents. Hebron is one of the highest locations in Canaan, but it's about 3,000 feet above sea level. At this time, it would have been beautifully wooded area and, and must have been a beautiful spot. And this is the place that Caleb wanted, and he was passionate about it despite being 85. Two challenges, however, he was going to face. Number one, in verse 12, it was the home of the Anakim. You might recall that uh, the ten bad spies said there were giants in the land. Well, that may not have been totally accurate. They may have been thinking about these guys near Hebron because this is the city he wanted, and, uh, and there would have been giants there. These people were feared. Giants were feared. The Jewish people are, are shorter, uh, many of them, and, um, and, and so they, they would fear somebody like this. The Moabites called them terrors or horrible ones. Others refer to them as ghostly, mysterious ones. Some called them Zamzumans, those who spoke gibberish. These were the zombies of the day. All right, you've seen it on TV. That's who these people were, only they were big. Uh, the scripture calls them giants. I tend to be taller uh, than the average South Asian. And um, I remember one time I was uh, at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Washington, D.C., and um, there was a, a group of people, I'm assuming they were, they were Chinese, or they were Oriental people, and uh, they had a camera, and they came over to me, and, and it was maybe 20 or 30. And, uh, and uh, you know, I figured, oh, they want me to take their picture, I'd be delighted to do it. And they said, no, no, we want you in the picture. And so here I am, uh, here, and, and they're all down here. And I could just imagine them showing this at their church, you know, big, fat, tall American, you know, uh, when they did their PowerPoint. This was before PowerPoint. But there's another time that uh, greatly concerned me. Um, 
I, uh, I tend to forget something whenever I go to uh, India. I always forget something. You've got to forget something, right? I mean, that's just part of being humans. And, uh, so, and this time I did, too. I, I forgot my little keyboard. I had to buy one. It's a long story. Um, but one occasion, I opened up my suitcase, and, um, and lo and behold, I, I had forgotten my underwear. Uh, now, that can be a real challenge uh, when you wear underwear every day. And uh, so I did have one in my overnight bag. That was a good idea. Um, and fortunately, there was uh, another pastor who was coming from the U.S., and Vani dutifully wrapped up underwear and, and disguised it and gave it to him, saying he needs this. Um, and uh, so I, I went in. I was getting a suit made over in Hyderabad. They're, they're rather inexpensive. And uh, the material, I mean, you can get expensive material, but I, you know, I wasn't into that. I just wanted a suit made. So they measured me out for the suit. And, and as we were leaving, I, I said to the guy, I told him my problem. I said, uh, I, I don't have any underwear. Uh, can you do something for me? This is exactly what he did, exactly what he did. No. 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 I, you know, I still to this day, I don't know why. You can make me a suit, but you can't. All right, these were giants. Right. And, and one, of, one, of the, one by the name of Og had a bed that was 6 feet 12 inches long. Uh, in London Museum, they have a femur bone from a human of that time period that would indicate that he was 9 feet tall. Another article I read noted that if these giants were 13 feet tall, their bodies would be proportionate so that they might have weighed close to 2,000 pounds. You can imagine, these were fear, uh, fearsome people. This was a challenge for Caleb. But there was an even greater challenge for him, and it was the wall. Walls for some cities in antiquity were quite impressive. The walls surrounding Nineveh reportedly were 100 feet high, broad enough at the top for four chariots to be driven abreast eight miles in circuit. Hebron's walls added a different uh, challenge. It was a set of two walls surrounding the city. The first was a lower wall, and then you had the higher wall. You could get over the lower wall, you know, jumping, climbing, whatever. But, but it's what was between the two walls that was the problem. It was a, a maze of blind alleys so that anybody breaching the outer wall would get trapped in the alleys trying to get to the larger wall. And in order for Caleb to conquer the city, he, he'd first have to scale that wall and then contend with the maze while city dwellers are, are shooting arrows, they're throwing things at them, they're pouring hot oil on them. So here's this old soldier, 85 years old who could have retired at an old soldier's home by the Mediterranean Sea and lived out the rest of his years in peace, wanting the best, and it was Hebron. It had giants, it had an impregnable barrier around the city, but Caleb had passion. He believed it could be taken. His nephew, Othniel, seeing the old man's faith, takes up the challenge to conquer the city. He does so. He's rewarded by being given the hand of Caleb's daughter in marriage. And he becomes one of the first judges in the book of Judges. So, but here it is. So where did this passion come from? It came from not only believing the promises of God, but claiming those promises. The basis of Caleb's petition to Joshua was the promise that the Lord had made, it, made to him, so he claimed it. Uh, and that ought to be the basis of our prayers as well. Lord, you promised, with all due respect, um, to do this for me, and, and so therefore I'm claiming this promise. Someone has compiled 54 promises of God. I'm, I'm sure there's many more, and impossible to write these down, but easily discovered 
uh, online or in your Bible. I, I stopped praying, God be with so-and-so. When I would be visiting people in the hospital, I, you know, that would be a prayer, God be with them. No, no. If they're a follower of Christ, God's always going to be with them. Now the prayer is more, God, reveal yourself to them that you are with them. As Christians grow older, so should their faith in God. And we go back to that passage, that verse I read in 2 Corinthians 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Atlanta, Pastor Charles Stanley wrote about claiming God's promises and noted that God always keeps his word. Now, listen, he said, listen, he always said that. He, he, he said that we need to keep the promises in perspective, specific promises made to particular people we cannot claim. For instance, if you felt you should go to Israel because God promised to give you the land, uh, no, that's, that's, not, that's not a promise for you. He says, but if we claim a promise according to God's will, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that God is pleased by our request, and it doesn't contradict God's word, and our desire will be to advance the spiritual growth of God's kingdom, then boldly we should claim it. Finally, he notes, if we claim the Lord's promises with a right spirit and pure motive, we will honor him, receive what he asks, and grow in intimacy with our loving Father. So, be like Caleb. How can we be like Caleb? One, be positive. When it comes to what God has promised, we must be positive. Eternal life for all who believe, yes. Prayers to be answered, yes. Our Nathaniels to be saved, those are people that God has placed in our life that don't know Christ to be saved, yes. Our children to come back to God, yes. Oh, it doesn't mean all these things will ever will always happen, other than heaven for sure. But we must be positive in Christ. Sure beats being negative, which is of the flesh, and thus sin. And secondly, we need to be patient. Paul urged his readers in Ephesians 1, uh, rather 4, 1 and 2, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. Wait on the Lord. He'll answer you if you are serving him wholeheartedly. And then, be passionate. Be passionate about God's promises. And if we are, we will prosper like Caleb. Moses noted to the children of Israel, the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. That's being prosperous. God wants to bless you and prosper you. I'm not speaking about prosperity gospel where God is some cosmic Santa Claus giving you everything you desire, but God does want to bless you. One commentator noted that, that we, are, we as humans are like little geysers that gurgle and sputter and pop er erratically. Uh, that's about all the blessing that we can muster. Uh, but God, God is like the Niagara Falls. You look at eight, 186,000 tons of water crashing over the precipice every minute, and you think, surely this can't keep going at this force year after year after year. Yet it does, and that's the way God is about doing good. He never grows weary of it. It never gets boring to him. The Niagara of his grace has no end. His mercies are new every morning, and he wants to make us prosperous. But if we're negative, if we're not following him, then these things will not happen to us. Um, there, there have been a few commercial spinoffs from the one I told you about, Be Like Mike, uh, using the line, don't be like Dave, or, or don't be like Bob. 
Well, let me suggest that you don't be like the majority who were so negative and turned away from God. Rather, with God's help, raise up and be like Caleb. I don't care how old you are. Be a true man and woman of God who follows God wholeheartedly. Positive, patient, patient and passionate uh, as, as you serve him. Father, I thank you for my friends. So good to see them. And continue to bless uh, Pastor Justin and this church as they reach out now to a lot of different uh, avenues of ministry that they're, they're going to be having in the fall. And may it be just a wonderful, wonderful year. And Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us as followers of you, that we will become people worthy of being followers of you. Uh, some of these areas we need to chip off in, uh, in our own life. And, um, and, and maybe not be so negative and, and trust in you more and, and, and watch you being, and being patient as you're going to work out your will and, and then being passionate about serving you. So minister to our hearts. Speak to us uh, in this regard today. And, Lord, there could be somebody here um, who can't do any of this because they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And, uh, and I pray that, that even now that your Holy Spirit will work in their heart that you will draw them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ um, from which they will then receive the gift of eternal life and, and all the promises that you've, that you've given to us as believers. So speak to them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.